Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Foreign Edition. Now, Mary Kissel. Venezuela devalues its currency. Turkey's lira continues to have problems. What sparks these currency crises? What happens when money dies? And what does it mean for U.S. foreign policy? Welcome to Foreign Edition. I'm Mary Kissel with the Wall Street Journal editorial board here in New York City. And I am very pleased to welcome a special guest today, Steve Hankey, the professor of applied economics at the Johns Hopkins University and director of the Troubled Currency Project at the Cato Institute. He is the author of many, many books, op-eds for us and, and other publications, and has advised multiple governments on currency policy. He is, ladies and gentlemen, the world's expert on currency crises. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Murray, it's wonderful to be with you. Let's start just by talking about Venezuela, where dictator Nicolas Maduro rolled out his latest economic reform plan, and I'll put that in quotes earlier this week, uh, the centerpiece of which was a giant devaluation of the local currency called the Bolivar and the launch of a new currency called the, quote, Sovereign Bolivar. Um, Steve, uh, what is the thinking, if there is thinking, um, behind this devaluation, and, and how is it supposed to work? When a country hyperinflates, Mary, the monthly inflation rate exceeds 50% per month. So in Venezuela today, I, I use high-frequency data to measure the inflation rate both on a monthly and annual basis. And today, the monthly rate is 137%. And the annual rate is 51,836%. So Venezuela is hyperinflating. That's a rather rare thing in, in, in history. There have only been 58 hyperinflations in world history. Mm. And, and Venezuela, out of the 58, it comes in at about number 23. So it's, it's kind of a modest one, but, but it's still very nasty. So and what happens... Uh, with, with these things is that you, you end up with what I call a wheelbarrow problem, and that is to, to buy a hot dog, you have to take a wheelbarrow full of bolivars mm. uh, in, into, the, into the shop, and the shop won't even count the bolivars. They'll weigh them and see if you have roughly enough to buy the hot dog. So as a, as a result of that wheelbarrow problem, you you have to re-denominate the currencies. You have to take you have to exchange old bolivars for in this case sovereign bolivars, and and it required a hundred thousand old bolivars to be exchanged for one sovereign bolivar. So that was the hmm. that was the so-called reform plan. The the essence of it is a, is taking zeros off. In this case, five zeros were removed from the old bolivar 
and uh, and and now we have the sovereign bolivar. So the but, currency, but, the, the currency is is basically becoming more and more worthless by the day. Uh, therefore, prices are going up because it's going to cost you more of those devalued uh, bolivars to to buy the same um, uh, asset. Um, but Steve, just by cutting zeros off, that doesn't change the underlying economic fundamentals. Um, has there ever been a case where cutting zeros off has actually ended or fixed that hyperinflation? No, you you have to do something more than the cosmetic kind of change that that you've talked about, Mary. It would be the same thing if you went into a plastic surgeon today and had a facelift. <laughs> you you might look a little different than you do today, but nothing would really change. It's still going down. It, it's still going. It's still going down now. In, in the case of, I can give you some examples of, of this. And the world's hyperinflation record was in July of 1946 in Hungary. And the Pengo was the currency at that time. And it was exchanged for the foreign, which is a currency now used in Hungary. And, and, that, and during that exchange of Pengo for foreign, they took 29 zeros off. Wow. <laughs> Of the thing, in in Yugoslavia, where I w was actually the chief advisor to the Markovic government when when co communism fell, they they wanted to reform the economy and the currency and everything else, and they they brought me in. And from 1990 until the civil war started, there there I was in Belgrade observing what was going on, and they had experienced. 20 years of inflation prior to 1990 in which the inflation rate average average was 79% per year in Yugoslavia. So they did just exactly what uh, Madeira did in Venezuela. And in January of 1990, against my advice, by the way, totally against my advice, they did a so-called currency reform in which they introduced what they called a convertible dinar. And, and they took uh, four zeros off at the time. By the time 1994 rolled around, they'd taken 27 zeros off, and they'd done five of these so-called reforms, renaming the currency, redenominating, and so forth. It didn't do a thing. They didn't change the monetary regime and the rules of the game. And the inflation rate in January of 1994 in Yugoslavia was 313 million percent per month, per yeah. month. People, people can't live under those conditions. Steve, my, my understanding in Venezuela, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that the Venezuelans have both a monetary and a fiscal problem because the prior government, the Chavez government, and the current government, the Maduro government, spent way beyond their means. They thought the oil price was going to stay high forever. Um, so they, they expanded the social welfare state, um, took on a lot of debt. And then on the monetary side, because, of course, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. We know that from Milton Friedman. Um, they, they simply printed too much currency. They've devalued the currency. Um, what say you to that analysis? Well, I, I say you're right. Uh, I, I agree with that. I would add a, a couple of points, and that is the hyperinflation. Milton Friedman, of course, is exactly right. Inflation is always a monetary phenomenon, but you, you have to look at 
how why why the printing press gets turned on and and ultimately it's always a really a fiscal problem because the government spends money and they they don't have adequate financing sources in other words in this case the tax base is is drying up the international bond market is cut off the domestic bond market is cut off so they can't and borrow so to fund the fiscal they, hole they can't borrow from anyone except the central bank so they go to the central bank and they say, we've got some wonderful paper we want to sell you. And the governor of the central bank says, of course, it really looks great. And he turns on the printing press. And, and at the extreme, this is, this is what's going on in Venezuela. But again, at the extreme, and, and I observed this very carefully in Yugoslavia, and by the end, in January of 1994, inflation, 313 million percent a month. 95% of all Yugoslav government expenditures were being financed by the central bank and the printing press. Wow. 95%. So we're not talking about a small 5 or 6%. In these hyperinflations, you're talking about huge chunks of the government expenditure that is discredit from the central bank. You know, Steve, it reminds me of that classic history of Adam Ferguson, When Money Dies, uh, that chronicled the German currency crisis of 1923, I believe. Um, and what I took away from that book was not just the, the mechanics of how money dies, which you've just described to us uh, in Venezuela's case, um, but also the human toll. Uh, you know, people just a unable to uh, buy basic goods, um, uh, elderly people with their savings uh, just completely inflated away, a lifetime uh, of work, young people uh, unable to find work because the economy, of course, collapses when money dies. Uh, and you see this again again today in, in Venezuela. Well, you, you really can see it, Mary. When, when you look at the money dies aspect of the thing, you, you've got at least four or five million Venezuelans have emigrated uh, out of the country because they're, they're literally starving. And, and, and that's one aspect of the problem. Now they're, they're creating so much trouble in, in Brazil and Colombia and Ecuador that they're shutting the border. So, so these poor people are like, they're trapped in a cage. Mm -hmm. and, and 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 money is dying on them. So it, it's just a terrible situation from a human point of view. We're talking about Venezuela, currency crises, and when money dies. And you're listening to Foreign Edition from The Wall Street Journal. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Drive time, gym time, anytime. WSJ Podcasts. From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Foreign Edition. Now, Mary Kissel. Welcome back to Foreign Edition. Mary Kissel here in News Corporation headquarters in the middle of New York City. And I'm on with Johns Hopkins economics professor Steve Hankey, the world's expert in currency crises. Steve, we were just talking about the problems in Venezuela, the boulevard on its deathbed. But we also have currency crises in Iran with the rial and Turkey with the lira. 
Is there a chance here that we'll see contagion, a global panic, or are these crises really confined to these nations' borders? It's a little bit hard, obviously, to predict a contagion, but uh, and Venezuela is is a special case, so I think I would take that one kind of off the table. The 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 ones that are of concern are uh, we earlier this year we we've had uh, a, a big plunge and a peso in Argentina and, and Turkey, we've had a plunge in the Turkish lira. Both of those things have lost uh, about 38% of their value this year. Mm. Then South Africa, we're, we're down about 15%. Russia is down about 14%. Even Chile is down about 8% this year. Now, the, the, the overall picture is one, Mary, in which the, the U.S. dollar is, is very strong right now. And, and the most important price in the world is the dollar-euro rate. Why and, is and that, the, Steve? Well, the, the dollar-euro rate uh, today is, uh, and I'm, I'm looking at that, we're at uh, 1.6 right now in real time. And my comfort zone is, is for that rate is about 120 to 140. But why do you look so, at that rate specifically, Steve, for listeners who might well, not follow currency markets? Well, if you don't follow currency markets, you have to realize that everything, most things are actually priced in dollars. Almost all commodities are priced in dollars. Most of the foreign reserves held by central banks are in dollars. The big payment systems in the, in the world are denominated in dollars. The the dollar is the international currency. And by the way, there there always, if we go back twenty five hundred years, you find there always was one international currency mm. through all uh, history. Their average lifespans are about three hundred years. But at any rate, the dollar right now is the international currency, and and the second currency and importance is the euro. So that rate between the dollar and the euro, it happens to be very important. That's a very important price. And and, and right now that with the with the, the, the US dollar at one point six, it's it's strong. It's 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 lower than the one twenty rate. If it, it a few years ago it was weak. It was it was over the one forty. So with the with the dollar strengthening, that means that countries like Turkey that have borrowed a lot of money in dollars and overextended themselves uh, and now see their local currencies falling in value versus the dollar, that makes it harder for them to pay back those debts. That's a bad cycle to get into. Yeah, that, you, you put your finger exactly on the, on the nub of the problem, and that is it, once the dollar gets strong, and in my view, overly strong, because I think the Fed is overly tight actually right now, and that's indicated also by the price of gold. My comfort zone for gold is, is about $1,200 to $1,400 an ounce, and today it, it actually dropped a little below 1200 a few days ago. Now it's just slightly over 1200 so that, that indicates dollar strength, gold, gold price weakness, you see, in dollar terms. And what happens is you say you've got the, the debt burden on these emerging market countries goes up and up and up. That, that becomes more difficult on them, and also – 
capital starts flowing out of those emerging market countries and their, their currencies get weak. And, and that brings, by the way, local inflation to the countries that are experiencing currency weakness. Yeah, so, and, and human so, misery and suffering and um, you know, potentially potential instability um, that does create a foreign policy challenge for the United States. Venezuela being the most obvious in our hemisphere, just a couple of hours flight from Miami and also the source of what I would expect to see major refugee flows as people try to flee. They'll, they'll be the next boat people. Um, but Steve, it's interesting, though, you know, in all those countries that you named, um, it's the same fundamental problem. It's uh, fiscal overreach uh, and or government overreach. Um, in the case of Turkey, for instance, uh, Erdogan building you know bridges and roads and promising social welfare spending. In South Africa, um, uh, 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 the leaders there of the ANC uh, threatening to expropriate private property, kind of arbitrarily sending foreign investment fleeing. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the individual causes might be different, but the underlying themes are exactly the same. Right, right. And, and, and the thing is, back to your po- pointed question that you raised, you said, well, is there a possibility for contagion? And I said, it's a little bit hard to predict. However, we're, we're in kind of a, a vulnerable zone. Once, once the dollar gets a little out of balance in relationship to the euro and gold and, 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 and is, is very strong, you have a situation where, okay, we've had, a, we've had problems in Argentina, we've had problems in Turkey, and, and you, you, then, then you go on down the line, and, and, and is there going to be one of these things that pops up that is the straw that breaks the camel's back, and you you just never quite know. You know, Steve. Right now, just, right now it's been contained, but we we don't really know. Well, you know, we published an editorial uh, here at the Wall Street Journal uh, a couple of weeks ago about Iran, and actually, maybe Iran is the exception to my hypothesis because uh, Iran's currency troubles are a direct result, I believe, not just of the corruption and economic mismanagement of the regime in Tehran, which is undeniable. Large swaths of it are controlled um, by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. It's a you know a classic case of you know kind of a criminal syndicate running a country, and we're having control over it. Think about you know Suharto's Indonesia. Um, but but U.S. sanctions have also played a role there and sparked that withdrawal from uh, the real into the dollar. Correct. Well, yes, the sanctions have. And, and speaking of the, it, you've got the internal criminal element or mafioso type thing with the Revolutionary Guard, as well as don't forget the religious foundations are the, exactly the same thing. As a result. The, the, the private sector is just very tiny in Iran. It's been squeezed down since the revolution of 1979. So, so er, everything is vulnerable. Everything is mismanaged. There's a, there's a tremendous amount of corruption, if not criminality. And, and when you put the sanctions on, that, that does tighten the news. There's something called the Afghan effect. This is Bob Mandel's observation. In 1980, the Soviets had invaded Afghanistan. President Jimmy Carter was in office in the White House, and his national security advisor was Brzezinski. And Brzezinski advised that we should weaponize food. Mm. And to do that, and and to punish the Soviets, and the weaponization was as follows. We would prohibit the export of U.S. grain to the Soviet Union. And as a result, 
of that, we ha- we ha- have the Afghan effect that Mundell observed. And the Afghan effect is if you put sanctions on somebody, if you if you're beating somebody with a stick, what 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 what's the recipient of that beating want to do? They want to escape, and they escape in this case. In Afghanistan, this, in Afghanistan, the Soviets escaped the grain embargo by going to Argentina and, and buying grain at a very good price. It was a very good deal for the Argentines farmers. It was a good deal for the Soviets. It was a very bad deal for American farmers. And on, on top of that, it was a very good deal for, remember, the junta. The mm-hmm. junta was in power then. The bad guys were in power, and, the, and they, they, they were they were flooded with foreign reserves as a result of these grain sales and the economy boom. So that's the Afghan effect. Everything is connected to everything else. You put sanctions on somebody, they try to escape. So in Iran, back to Iran in the current day, the Afghan effect is that you put sanctions on and and what does it do? They they try to escape. And the escape routes are all manned by international criminal organizations. So so these routes are spawning and, and generating huge profits for the international mafias that that run the channels. It also has geopolitical implications, and that is obviously the the Iranians go from the prohibited suppliers of things like Total, the big French oil company that that was done in the in in the south uh, part of uh, southern part of Iran in the gas field, and and now who they're prohibited from being there, or they have decided. They wanted to avoid secondary sanctions by the United States, so they got out. And who who fills the vacuum? China. Right. And there are still more sanctions to come uh, in the coming weeks. That was just the fall in the uh, Rial happened after, in anticipation, rather, of the first tranche of reimposed sanctions. So the message is uh, sanctions may have many unintended consequences uh, and we should be on the lookout for contagion, perhaps, as money dies in Venezuela and elsewhere. That's it for Foreign Edition today. On behalf of Steve Hankey and me, Mary Kissel, thanks for listening. We'll be back with you later this week. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.